Welcome to the Compelling Words Podcast. The Word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the Word of God. Have you ever had your plans fall apart? I mean, obviously, the answer to that is a, a, a very big yes. We've all had that situation where something you've worked towards, something you've planned, just kind of didn't work out. It, it fell apart. Your plans didn't happen. Uh, last weekend was Father's Day. Uh, my parents planned to come down for the day, and then my brother and his family were going to come down later on in the afternoon, and Leanne planned dinner, and she planned for desserts. Uh, My favorite pie is peanut butter pie, so she made a peanut butter pie. It was Father's Day, so she made a peanut butter pie for me. Well, my dad's favorite pie is chocolate pecan pie, so she made a chocolate pecan pie for my dad. Well, my brother's favorite pie is French silk pie, so she made a French silk pie for my brother. So we had this day planned with this nice meal and these three different pies for all the fathers that were there gathered together. And my parents did make it down. They were here for church. But as we were having lunch, they started getting weather alerts on their phone for back home, saying the weather was getting bad. And then before long, my brother called and said, the weather's not looking to be very good, so we're not going to make it down. And then... My mom and dad decided that with the weather going that direction, maybe they should leave early. So they left early. Well, I actually called my brother up and I said, hey, I just want to say thank you for not coming. (laughs) And he said, okay, why? And I said, Leanne made you a French silk pie and I'm going to eat it now. (laughs) And he was super disappointed about it. He said, can't you send it back with mom and dad? And I said, all right, all right. So I did, but I did take a piece out of it. (laughs) So I wasn't going to miss out on that. Sometimes the plans that uh, get messed up are really not all that significant. But sometimes the plans that we have made have a whole lot more to them. They're a lot more meaningful and they are a lot more significant and impacting uh, we, we plan to have kids, and it's just not happening. We plan to retire in a few years, and now we won't be able to. We planned a long life together, and cancer took him too soon. We said, I do, and we planned this lifelong marriage, and now it's, it's over. We, we, we plan to live close to our grandkids, and now they're moving far away. When our plans don't work out, it can hurt. It can feel real bad. It can be a hard thing. And what's even worse is when we have these plans that we think are in the will of God. We think that they have God's blessing on them, and we think they're a good thing. In fact, they are a good thing. And they probably do have the the approval of God over them. And then when those plans don't work out, 
it doesn't just feel like our plans messed up. It feels like what God had planned got messed up. Psalm 132 is a song that's giving praise to God in worship. It's it's a song praising God in worship. It's a song that remembers the promise that King David made to God and the promise, the covenant that God made with David. If you want to turn there, we're going to read Psalm 132, verse 1 through 12. Psalm 132, verse 1 through 12 says, Lord, remember David and all of his self-denial? He swore an oath to the Lord. He made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids till I find place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. We heard it in Ephrathath. We came upon it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool, saying, Arise, Lord, and come to your resting place. You and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with your righteousness. May your faithful people sing for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not reject your anointed one. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I'll place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statues I teach them, then their sons will sit on their throne forever and ever. This song is a song about David and God and the promise and the covenant that was made. David promised to God that he would build a temple for God. And God promised David that his descendants would be on the throne, would forever be on the throne. That was the promise and that was the plan. Now, a good number of scholars believe that this psalm was written by Solomon. Solomon, if you remember, was King David's son. He's the one that actually did build the temple. It was David's idea, but Solomon's the one that actually had it completed. It's quite possible that this psalm was actually used and sung at the dedication of the temple. Some of the same words are used in Solomon's prayer when he dedicated the temple in 2 Chronicles. Some of the same words are used. So it was probably used at that time. We may not know for sure all of the details about it, but we do know that it is included in the Psalms of Ascent. We've been talking about those psalms in the last few weeks. That was a collection of psalms that the Jewish people, God's people, would sing as they made their way up to Jerusalem from one of the annual festivals. Psalm 132 is one of those songs of ascent. And it was probably a psalm that was sung even after the exile. That means that they sang this song after the temple had been destroyed. That means they sang this song when everything around them looked bad. When everything around them looked bad, they were still singing this song. Imagine them walking into the rubble and walking into the ruins of a destroyed Jerusalem, a place they called Zion, God's holy city, representing God's presence. Imagine them walking into that destroyed city, singing this psalm. One, psalm 132, verse 13 through 18 continues. It says, For the Lord has chosen Zion 
Imagine, they're walking into rubble, destroyed Jerusalem. The Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling, saying that my, this is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor I will satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her faithful people will ever sing for joy. Here I'll make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but his head will be adorned with a radiant crown. Zion was their sacred city. It was the center of their identity as people of God. A horn for David was a symbol of strength and power. A light was a symbol of clarity and wisdom. And a crown, of course, indicated royalty. This was a song that was celebrating a promise. This was a song of assurance. This was a song of confidence. And I wonder if as they were singing this and they were walking into a ruined, messed up Jerusalem, I wonder if they were singing these words thinking, God's plan is off the rails. God's plan is all messed up. What did they think? What did they feel? Singing these words with the evidence of destruction all around them. I know they didn't give up. They continued to trust God. They continued to trust the promises of God. They continued to trust in that covenant that God made with David. The temple was first built by Solomon around 957 B.C. Then the temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 587 B.C. And that's when God's people then were taken into Babylonian exile. And in 538, King Cyrus of Persia conquered Babylon and allowed the Jews to return to their homeland. And all of that, through all of that, they still believed that God's promise was true. They believed that God was still there leading them. And they trusted in that. So they rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the temple. My question for us this morning is this. Do we trust God when it doesn't look like he's there? Do we trust God when it looks like he's not there? Do we trust God when everything around us looks like God has abandoned us? Do we trust God when it feels like his promise and his plan is all messed up? Do we trust God enough to keep building even if we have to completely start again. I hope that we can say yes to that. I hope we can say yes, we do. And actually, I know that we can say yes, we do. Because the promise of Psalm 132 is way bigger than they knew. The the promise of this psalm was way bigger than they knew it to be. God promised that a descendant of David would sit on the throne forever and ever. God said that it would be David's sons and their sons if they kept the covenant and the statutes of God. Well, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. 
There were failures in morality. There was sin. There was disobedience. And those who did not keep the statutes of God did not sit on the throne. But God's plan does not depend on how good we do. God's plan does not depend upon how good we do. God's plan does not depend on us. He invites us into his plan. He calls us to participate. He even commands us to be a part of his plan. But it doesn't depend on us. The grace of God should give us a faith that wants us to serve and live according to God's will. God desperately wants us, but God doesn't need us. God's plan to keep this promise wasn't all about a human descendant of David. It wasn't all about that. This was a promise of something more. This was a promise of the Messiah. This was a promise about the Son of God becoming a man and reigning as King, as Lord and Savior forever. This was a promise of Jesus. This was a promise of Jesus. Now, Matthew and Luke, those two Gospels, tell us, give us the lineage of Jesus. They give us the history of Jesus, the lineage. He was born as a descendant of David by adoption through Joseph, who was his earthly father. He was also born as a descendant of David by blood through his mother, Mary. So Jesus was a descendant of David. Jesus is called the son of David in the New Testament 17 times. In that culture, at that time, the term son of David was more than a genealogy term. When they used the phrase, the son of David, they weren't just talking about a lineage. They weren't just talking about genealogy. It was a messianic title. The son of David meant the anointed one. It meant the promised one. The one that God said would reign forever. The one that God said would save them. Can we keep trusting the promise of God when things are looking bad? Yes, because of Jesus, the son of David. Imagine, in the New Testament, imagine uh, the disciples of Jesus and those that had begun to follow Jesus and believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Imagine how they felt when Jesus was arrested and, and then he's put up on a cross and he's killed. Imagine that what they were feeling in that moment. This is the son of David, the savior, the one that was supposed to come and deliver us and rescue us. And now he's been put on a cross and he's been killed. Just like the people of God seeing the temple in destruction. Once again, it looked like God's promise and God's plan had failed. Once again, it looked like that. But we know that it didn't, because we know what happened three days later. We know what happened three days later. The resurrection of Jesus is the evidence of who Jesus was. 
The resurrection was validation that Jesus was the promised Messiah, that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that he is Lord and Savior. Have you ever expected something or you were promised something and come to find out it was even better than you had hoped or better than you imagined it to be? Have you ever had an experience like that? One little boy uh, remembered his grandfather showing him a $100 bill. And as a little boy, he saw this crisp $100 bill, and it was impressive to him. So he thought, Grandpa's rich. He thought, my grandpa must be very rich. Then as he got older, he began to see things a little bit different. Grandpa drove a used car, 15 years old or older, just an average car, His grandparents lived in a small house. They didn't really do a lot. They didn't spend a lot of money. They didn't go out a lot. Grandpa ate peanut butter sandwiches every day for lunch. The little boy was finishing high school. He had grown into a young man. He was actually working a part-time job washing dishes at a local restaurant. And the memory of his grandfather's $100 bill wasn't nearly as impressive anymore. But he still felt good when Grandpa promised to help him pay for college. He felt good about it, but he honestly didn't expect that much. Well, you probably guessed it. Grandpa gave, Grandpa gave a lot more help than the boy anticipated. In fact, Grandpa was able to pay for all four years of tuition. Sometimes we get more than we expect. Sometimes the promise turns out to be better than we hoped for. In Psalm 132, They remembered the covenant promise that God had made with David. They remembered that covenant and they trusted it. They trusted in that, but they did not know that it would come to be true in a much bigger way than they anticipated. They did not know that the plan and the promise was actually Jesus. They didn't know it was that big. They didn't know it was that much. They trusted that God's presence would live within the temple. When we're in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, God's presence isn't contained to a building or a certain location. We have God's presence living within us. We have God at work in our lives. They trusted in God's provision. In God's protection, they trusted in salvation. Psalm 132, verse 15 and 16 says, I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor I will satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her faithful people will ever sing for joy. Once again, the New Testament teaches us that that promise is kept in Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, 
that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are the people of God. We are those who are clothed with salvation. We are the ones who sing for joy. This psalm is applying to us. Through Jesus, we have been given mercy by God. Back in the Old Testament, they promised, they trusted the promise of God. And trusting God's promise is kind of like taking a train. You get on board and you trust where that is going to take you. You trust the destination. God's covenant promise began with Abraham. That was the first station. The promise began there with Abraham. And then it was renewed. The covenant was renewed with David. And then it was renewed with David's son, Solomon. And all along the way, this covenant, this promise that God had made, all along the way, it's being renewed. It's being renewed. It's being renewed. Every station throughout that Old Testament history was a reminder that God was keeping his promise. And then the final destination of that covenant promise was Jesus. He fulfilled the promise of God in a much bigger way than they could have ever known. We're blessed to live on the other side of that promise. We know Jesus. We know him as our Lord, and we know him as our Savior. But I have to admit, I have to admit, even on this side of the promise, I can still get discouraged. And I can still feel overwhelmed. And I can still have my doubts and wonder where God is. God, are you, are you still there? God, can I, can I still trust you? I mean, it looks like this world's falling apart. Everything is a mess. And sometimes we don't just feel that in the world around us. Sometimes we feel that in our own life. God, my family is a mess. God, there's so much that's just not right. Nothing seems to be working out. Psalm 132 reminds us about King David. And thinking about King David reminds us about God's faithfulness. It reminds us that our God is a promise keeper. When they sang this song... It's possible they were walking into a destroyed temple. But they kept the faith. And they stayed on board with God's promise. And through Jesus, God fulfilled that promise, both for them and for us. This morning, let me encourage you to stay on board with that promise. Stay on board with that promise. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. 
Now that verse, don't misunderstand, that's not telling us that everything's going to go smooth and everything's going to be all right all the time. It's not telling us that. Not everything's going to work out or go the way that we want it to. But God has promised that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That means that even the bad things that are happening, God can and will use for good. And even more than that, it means that we have a promised destination. And it's way better than we could ever anticipate. We have the promise of heaven. Even some of the language, if you look back at this psalm, Psalm 132, if you look back at it, even some of the language there seems to apply more beyond this life. It seems to apply to our eternity in heaven. Blessed with abundant provisions. The poor will be satisfied. The faithful will ever sing for joy. Here and now, we live in a fallen, imperfect world. It's a world that has been hurt and scarred by sin. It's a world that is still very much in rebellion against God. But when the end comes, heaven is for those who are saved by grace. Revelation 21, verse 1 through 4, and then 22 through 27 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there'll be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus is the promised Messiah, Savior of the world. Heaven is our promised home beyond this life. Keep trusting our God, the promise keeper. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to rate this podcast. May the word of God be living and active in your life.